Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real world experience as a senior executive. So if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, let's get started. Hi everybody, and welcome back for another episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. And this week, I am excited to tell you that I have with me my dear friend, Julie Kane. Hi, Julie. Hey, Cindy, how are you? I'm so excited to be here with you. Well, thank you. I am super excited to have you here. I want to tell all of you um, about Julie's amazing background and what she's up to now, and then we will dive into this conversation about ethics and integrity and where the future of that whole field is going. So Julie is a seasoned executive and counselor and public company director with decades of experience that span multiple industries, which is, I think, really cool. She spans um, industries including pharmaceuticals, chemicals and agribusiness, cosmetics, retail and direct selling, and dual fuel utilities. Wow, Julie, that's just a lot. (laughs) Excited to hear about similarities and differences, but let me tell you a little bit more about Julie. She served in a range of senior roles throughout her career and has for many years reported directly to CEOs, boards of directors, and she has very broad experience in ethics and compliance, of course, which goes hand in hand with corporate social responsibility and sustainability, health, safety, and environment, emergency crisis and risk management, investigations, regulatory negotiations, law, and diversity inclusion. You name it, it all kind of goes together. Currently, Julie is a member of the board of directors of SEGA Technologies. Did I say that right? Yes, you've got it. a publicly traded pharmaceutical company that's in the biodefense space, which is quite interesting. There, she's the chair of the NominGov committee, and she's also a member of the Compensation Committee. Prior to that, Julie served as SVP, Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer, and Deputy General Counsel at Pacific Gas and Electric Corporation um, for about the past five years, and she oversaw the company-wide compliance program as well as activities that arose from PG&E's criminal convictions, term of probation, and court-appointed federal monitorship. Some of you may be wondering a little bit about that, think wildfires in California, but we'll get into that a bit more in the podcast. Julie also has experience prior to that working in other companies, including Avon and Novartis, Um, and just a host of uh, other experiences. Julie's always been very focused on giving back. And so in addition to her public company board service right now, she still serves on the board of a nonprofit, um, which is where Julie and I first met uh, for the Ethics Research Center in Washington, DC. And there she's a member of the NominGov committee. Julie holds an undergraduate degree in political science from the Williams College in Williamstown, Massachusetts, and a law degree from the University of San Francisco School of Law. Wow, wonderful background and experience, Julie. We are very fortunate to have you with us today. So thank you. Thank you. So let's talk about this uh, just vast, wide experience you have in a number of different industries, healthcare, consumer products, and most recently oil and gas. And what I would like for you to do is, in your own words, kind of share with the audience what you see as some of the main differences 
and similarities in the ethics and compliance um, programs in all of these different industries? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love that question because um, it really, it made me think a little bit when you told me you wanted to talk about this, where's the common thread? And the reality is there is a thread. Um, and that is that fundamentally compliance and ethics and organizations, um, there are just certain things that organizations, companies have to do to get it right. It needs to be systematic. You need um, to really be sure it's being driven into the business. All the things that we think about when we think about ethics and compliance, in part arising from DOJ guidance and federal sentencing right. guidelines, right? Do you have a code of conduct or senior people leading the program? Are you training folks? All that stuff is common and that list goes on. What is different is um, what risk drivers really cause a program to move in one direction or another. Mm. So if you're in a pharmaceutical company, there are certain risks and behavioral issues that um, may require more um, attention from an ethics and compliance standpoint. So for example, uh, for many years in the 90s and the early 2000s, pharmaceutical companies had issues related to um, sales and marketing fraud, whether paying doctors kickbacks or promoting drugs for unapproved uses. And because of that, we had to build programs that were addressing those issues. Right. Um, whereas in um, a utility, gas and electric, um, in PG&E's case, um, other kinds of issues arise. And so, for example, um, if you're running a nuclear power plant, the most significant thing you need to worry about, heaven forbid, is um, a core damaging event, which is commonly thought of as a meltdown. The, the compliance program has to be deeply focused on managing that risk. Yeah. Um, I think in part, um, policy helps manage this risk, right? So there are policy decisions that get made by governments or others, and then regulatory schemes or laws and regulations put into place to help manage these risks. Uh -huh. So, you know, I think this gets to bigger questions about um, external forces and how we manage compliance and ethics in our organizations. Yeah. But I, for one, am a fan of constructive regulatory schemes that help people um, manage compliance issues in companies. I think it can be constructive. Yeah. I think it can't be the only answer for yeah. sure, but right, I think it's right. an important piece, puzzle piece. Right. What about when you think about uh, the culture of integrity and the 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 ethics side of it, some people call it, I, I like the word integrity more because I think it speaks to higher values and and uh, is more inspiring, but were, was the integrity program across industries were they focused on the same issues as well in terms of driving that intrinsic understanding of the values? Um, was it the same across industries or different? Again, a little bit different, but only because these were very, very different businesses. But at yeah. bottom, I think, um, let's call it integrity for purposes of this discussion. The importance of integrity in any successful organization is probably paramount in my mind. Mm -hmm. you, you can put all systems into place, try to comply with regulatory schemes all day long, right. but if, if somehow the foundational structure of integrity isn't in place, or you can call it the umbrella, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. To me, the whole thing cannot work. And so, you know, it's a little bit trite at this point, but this notion of tone at the top and more 
is so critically important. In my view, senior management absolutely has to be talking about this stuff, but much more than talking about it, really demonstrating um, to employee populations that they're going to live it in, right. in, in significant ways. And, and most frequently, that means um, helping sponsor the program, but also then holding themselves and others accountable when there right. are lapses. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. So let's talk about your most recent corporate experience at, at PG&E and, and COVID, um, which I'm sure affected uh, PG&E just like it did many other companies. And you you were a member of the C-suite trying to lead that company through that experience. Tell us a little bit about how PG, PG&E was affected by COVID. Yeah, absolutely. So I, and just um, for full disclosure, I left PG&E at the end of last August, but I was there for then for a good healthy chunk of the onset of COVID. Yeah, because well, unfortunately it's been going on for a really long time now. I know, tired, <laughs> it's <right>? not over. <laughs> um, but um, for us at the outset, it was a very interesting issue because um, like so many other businesses, we aren't uh, a bunch of people sitting at desks or advising clients. These, you know, um, the majority of, of the population is union represented and a large proportion of that is customer facing. These are people who are digging trenches and fixing um, natural gas pipelines or securing them. They may be people climbing poles and trimming trees and making sure the wires are as they should be. And so that work couldn't stop. These were right. essential services. Exactly. Um, and then there was some number of people who could in fact sit at their, not desk, well, desks at home, dining room tables, wherever they were sitting yeah. once yeah. we figured that out. Um, and so I think one of the issues at the beginning was sort of, do we have some haves and have nots? Mm. People who must still be out in the field dealing with these critical issues and other folks who, I don't want to say sitting in the luxury of their homes, but it's a very different experience if you yeah. can sit at home. So that was yeah. one issue. And I, I think we managed it well. I think, you know, we talked about it. We continued to get done the work that had to be done in the field. And that's the most important thing because it's, it's for safety, among other mm -hmm. things. Obviously, turning on the lights is important, but nothing's more important than safety and, and making sure the system is safe. So that work just had to be done. The other um, piece of it that I'll mention, which is completely separate, and I've talked to so many people who've had this experience, and that is that there's something about this COVID experience um, when you get on your Zoom calls or Microsoft Team calls or whatever calls right, that right. starting in the morning, um, and the calls are stacked up all day and right. don't stop. And then it's the end of the day. Maybe you've had a lunch break. Maybe you haven't, frankly, based <laughs> on how things went. And then you get to start reading emails at the end of the day. Now, we all lived that for a while. But what I heard from a lot of people in the organization um, and in other organizations is that somehow the boundaries around that slipped away. So mm -hmm. There was no, um, the natural break that we had, whether getting on a bus or in a car to drive or get to the office, yeah. um, signaled the beginning of it. And then at the end of the day, getting in our car or getting on the bus or train to go home signaled the end. And that helped people sort of cabin um, right. the work day. Yeah. Um, I think by virtue of the fact that people are working this way, the way you and I are speaking right now, mm -hmm. means that it 
the days are sort of infinite and blend into one another. And that I think has taken a toll on people. And you know, mm. we've all heard and read a lot about it, mm. um, but I think it's been very real. I think there's been one upside that I love about all of this. And that is that we suddenly have seen in bold relief that um, people, people's lives, business lives are also very complicated. And so there may be a kid in the background making noise, um, <laughs> right? There may be a cat jumping onto the screen. I mean, we've all seen yeah. the funny little videos of all sure. of it. But I think what it, what it made clear for all of us is that this is complicated and it was complicated before COVID. You know, mm -hmm. people are managing lots of things and yeah. it, it probably got more complicated because of this yeah. very dramatic shift in how we work. Right. But I'm wondering if it's gonna force everybody to think a little bit about, you know, we have to do a better job of accommodating alternate schedules, making sure the people who have the burden of childcare can mm -hmm. address that. Mm -hmm. um, which I think in a way ties to ESG, right? I do too. Yeah, yeah, I do too. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But you're so right. I mean, when you invite people into your home, basically, you know, and they and they they see um, what's going on, it's it's you get a better sense of what everyone's trying to actually manage in their life. Yeah. And I think it has brought this sense of humanness. Yes. Um, even though we're not physically connected, humanness. Uh, to the corporate world, the business side of it, that um, when you just see somebody in an office every day, you miss. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I think that that's probably that's probably right. So let's talk about another aspect of of, of PG&E. It's been in the news a lot lately uh, with respect to wildfires in California and whether or not their lines caused some of the uh, wildfires um, or not. So can you just help our audience understand really what were some of the issues that that PG&E was dealing with that, that got it subject to uh, the corporate monitorship and what really does that all about? Yeah, so let me clarify, and I'm gonna keep this fairly high level because as yeah. you can appreciate, there's ongoing issues Absolutely. Um, in the company. But the, uh, the criminal conviction that gave rise to the monitorship actually arose out of issues um, related to a pipeline explosion in 2010. Wow. Um, and, um, after that conviction, part of the outcome was to have a monitor for five years. Um, and um, we could probably do a whole other show. Yes, on we could on monitorships. <laughs> but just so the audience understands, what is a federal monitor? What does that mean? Right. So a federal monitor um, may accompany either um, a plea or a sentence. Um, and Essentially, it is the court appointing someone yeah. um, to oversee aspects of the business, typically related to the issues that gave rise to the conviction or guilty plea. Yeah. Um, so it's not a company employee. It's somebody not, who's completely independent, sort of like the watchdog absolutely. for either the, the regulatory agency like you know DOJ or SEC or the court. Yep, yeah. exactly. And this person is a sent, one can think of it as the eyes and ears of the prosecutor and the court um, yep. in your business. It is a third party, it's an independent person. Frequently, these are former federal prosecutors. Yeah. Um, often they're people who have knowledge of the business, but not always. Um, frequently they'll hire experts. Um, so if you have a lawyer who's um, your monitor, he or she may hire experts 
um, on the issues related to your business um, to help understand. Um, you know, I think no business wants a monitorship, but right. I think um, our view was this exists. Let's make the most of it. Let's learn from these people. They were extremely competent. Yeah. Um, let's help get better because they're here. Right. Uh, and that's how we confronted it. And yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's ongoing. I'm gone. It's ongoing. But right. I think, you know, like so many other things that can go wrong in companies, you ha you have to see the upside you do. In, once it's time to remedy or cure um, yeah. and, and just make the most of it. And that's, to me, an integrity or ethical issue, too. It's I totally like, agree. It's the yeah. way you approach it, but with the right mindset and approaching it with, you know, a, a, an attitude of integrity and we want to get better, they yes. really can help make a company better. And Absolutely. it can become, it, it handled right. It can be uh, much more of a partnership than any sort of an adversarial relationship. Um, no yeah, you're right. That's a whole topic in and of itself. So let's go to those larger issues of ESG, which which we we talked just briefly about a few minutes ago and, and what you've seen kind of change um, over the years. So, you know, 25 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, even you weren't really hearing businesses or business schools talk at all about, you know, ESG or, you know, the environment and social issues and governance issues, or even CSR, you know, corporate social responsibility, which was the buzzword before it became right. kind of ESG, right. and all talking about the, the same kind of things. Um, and now, you know, it's like, that's where everybody is, and including the business roundtable, which has recently changed their yep. statement on the purpose of a corporation from Milton Freeman's, Milton Friedman's, it's the shareholder who reigns supreme to a more balanced kind of view of corporations are here to serve all of the stakeholders. Absolutely. So as you think about that change that you've seen over time, what do you think really caused that change? Um, I think increasingly there is a recognition that this profit drive only is probably not making us the best companies we could possibly be. And that there is a need and stakeholders are demanding it um, for companies to think about other things. I do think we can't ignore probably the impact of social media and how quickly information spreads yeah. Yeah. about organizations and what happens when things go wrong. Right, transparency. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also, I think there's a bit of a generational shift. So I have young adult children. Mm -hmm. um, they have different expectations um, about their employers and future employers than mm -hmm. I did. You mm -hmm. know, this notion that um, they aren't going to necessarily be fiercely loyal to an organization for an entire career. Yeah. Um, that they are expecting companies to do the right thing. They're expecting to, you know, this notion that, oh, that's just how it goes. So I have to work all night on a brief or whatever the issue is. Maybe right. not. Right. And maybe I have the freedom to pick up, pick up and go much more easily. And so I think it's a, a number of events. And then I do think there are a series of um, other issues. And I, I have to say, you know, your audience may feel like I'm overstating it. I think, for example, the impact of climate on our on our world is um, forcing businesses to think a little bit more broadly. At first, 
fundamentally about risk, right? So it's it's drought, but then it's water scarcity and extreme weather. I mean, look what happened in Houston last month or yeah. this month, right? Things that no one ever expected. And I think it's it's forcing organizations to say to themselves, what is happening here? And maybe I can't just pay attention to the PL. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Maybe so just I, just to be clear, so we were talking about Houston. We're talking about the like we're we're at a period in time right now where about a month ago we had this like deep freeze that went yes. all the way down, and the whole like power grid went down yes. in Texas. And so exactly. And yeah. I think you know again, I don't know how long ago, five, ten years ago. I don't know if people anticipated that. I'm not close to that situation at all. But now there is a need to anticipate new and different things, and it's sort of and that also impacts PL for sure. Absolutely. But, um, you know, again, people died in Houston. Yeah. Um, you know, some very sad, wild stories. Um, and organizations just, I think, have to look more broadly. So let's talk about your role as a board member and how that intersects with ESG. Um, so how do you how, how does a board get involved in helping a company manage these issues? And what's really a board's responsibility there, do you think, when it comes to ESG? Yeah, so this is very interesting because all of a sudden um, boards and, and corporate leaders are talking about ESG in a way that they probably weren't even a year ago, right? And I think part of it is because we are hearing um, from the SEC and NASDAQ and ratings agencies that they care about these things and they mm -hmm. want the organizations to be thinking about them and talking about them. And it's not gonna be long before we're gonna see expanded discussions in annual reports. And so I think this is a case where it is to an extent being forced um, by external factors. Um, but, um, I, I view it as a positive. So I've been doing this work for a very long time at Novartis way back when, when I was leading health, safety and environment, we also had what we then called corporate citizenship or corporate social right. responsibility. Yeah. Um, and, and this is an interesting story. I, I, we shifted our annual report at one point to include these ESG issues. We weren't calling it then. And we were very proud of ourselves. It wasn't my idea, by the way. But you know, let's be sure when we talk about our financial results were also talking about these kinds of things. And uh -huh. we, we felt like we were pretty early to the, to the table on that. Yeah. And it was exciting. But when I would talk to the financial folks, the people who were meeting with investors and reporting on the results, right. what they would say is, um, investors aren't asking any questions about this. How you know, every now and then I'll get a straight question about something because something went wrong, but they're not really inquiring when they inquire about, you know, mm. what new drugs are going to be launched or whatever right, right. else it is. Right. They weren't going after that now yeah. because we're seeing the rating agencies starting to focus on it. They're, more. Yeah. It's in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I do think that is going to be a significant driver and probably a very positive one. Yeah. Because they're, 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 
part of it in the past where there were these, uh, they were almost put off to the side, the socially responsible investors, right? And that was yes. one constituency. Yes. And I, what I hear you saying is that's, that's becoming more mainstream. It's not, which kind of ties right back to integrity and how it should be at the center of a company's strategy, ties right into ESG. It's not like these things are siloed. They all fit together, right? Right. Absolutely. And I, you know, it really does fit together. So I heard, um, I was on a, I was listening to an ESG panel a couple of weeks ago and I, I heard one of these um, corporate social responsibility uh, investment companies talking about how important it is and how it's finally coming to the fore now. Yeah. But um, what they said is if you think about things like drought and water scarcity, that actually has a significant business impact. It may change where you can site your facilities sure. in the future, right? Yeah. If suddenly someplace where you used to be, you know, would get 12 inches of rain a year and now gets one inch of rain a year, yeah. maybe that's not a place we can be doing business. Right. And right. so there is a real direct business impact that people have to focus on. So we've talked about this shift from focusing on profits and, you know, ethics and compliance programs kind of growing up over time. And now we're at this stage where everything's sort of kind of working together and, and coming together and integrating. Um, what do you think, Julie, if you had a crystal ball, which I know you don't, but pretend you do, <laughs> what do you think is really going to drive the future of business ethics, business integrity over the next 20 to 25 years. I mean, we are where we are right now, but what's next? It's always a journey. Absolutely. So definitely don't have a crystal ball, but I do think the things we've been talking about um, are gonna be um, a significant force in this, which is that um, there, <laughs> The cost of corporate crisis is just so high. And when I talk about the cost, I'm not talking just about dollars and cents. That can be very significant, but management distraction and employee morale. And again, I think gener generationally, there's been a shift where, you know, we've been saying this for years, um, people wanna work in a place they feel good about. That's true, but I do think, yeah. um, you know, the, the folks who are coming into the workplace now really have an expectation that folks are gonna be doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, this in a way is where uh, diversity and inclusion come into organizations right. too, right. right? I mean, the amount of time we're spending appropriately talking about racial injustice in our workplaces, I think things like that are gonna force shifts in our organizations. It's just, it feels like a new and different moment. And I think oh, what it's gonna mean is we're gonna to have to dig deep and sometimes have some very uncomfortable conversations um, with leadership teams and boards about what it's gonna have to look like and what it will have to change to, to be right. That we can no longer have a board of directors that is a bunch of you know, 50 to 70 year old white men. That just doesn't reflect our society or people's right. expectations of how organizations ought to look anymore. Right. And then recognizing in this process that our businesses will probably improve. Yeah. Because the extent to which we expand our filter and realize businesses can look really different and probably be more successful, I think the better off we're going to be. Yeah. I kind of see it as listening to you makes me think about moving from this moment where it is different, I think, and we're talking a lot about ESG to 
broad scale operationalizing, if you will, of yes. that concept, and then probably moving into a level of accountability, yeah. uh, more specifically for, you know, those issues once they're operationalized. So, Absolutely. but let, yeah. let me ask you, so, so having talked about it, if, if, if you only had three words to describe what you think the future of business ethics and integrity should be, what do you think those three key words would are? So I'm going to cheat a little on this one, which is ironic for an ethics conversation. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but the three words are really a phrase and it is nowhere to hide. I just think um, this notion that a corporation can keep itself buttoned up tight and endure the slings and arrows um, from wherever they may come is a thing of the past. Yeah. Um, and so I think the sooner business leaders um, can take a deep breath if they haven't already and realize I'm going to be transparent, I'm going to talk openly, um, not just with leaders, but with our employee population right. about things that are going well and things that aren't going so well, including right. mistakes that we've made and yep. how we plan to correct them and yep. create an environment where they're really listening to the mm -hmm. input from not just employees as stakeholders, but communities and governments, and again, you name it, investors, um, the better off um, the organizations are gonna be. But it's, a, it's not an insignificant shift in yes. a lot of organizations. I would agree with that. I like that, a phrase, nowhere to hide, that's good. Well, Julie, this has been really um, enlightening. I've enjoyed this conversation immensely. And what I like to do is always end on a fun note. Um, we are still in COVID. A lot of people have been doing more reading, watching, and listening to different things. So what are some one or two, or if you have three, that'd be great. Some fun books or movies or podcasts you may have listened to for fun, but that also had this ethical dilemma to it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I love this question, first of all, because it is fun. And, and like so many others, we have been really digging in, watching a lot more TV probably than I've ever watched in my whole I life. Know. And my husband and I just finished um, earlier this week, The Morning Show with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. It. So good. So good. And signed, so good. shined such an interesting light on the whole Me Too thing in yeah. a complex organization, in this case, media. Um, but it was riveting. I mean, I highly recommend it. Not that I'm the publicist for right. Apple Plus or whatever, but uh, it really was riveting. And I think they did a nice job, obviously highly dramatized, but okay. in many respects, not so much, right? Yeah. Um, and so I thought that was a great one and I do recommend it. I also just finished reading a book um, that I absolutely loved, which has shown up on a lot of um, best of the year from 2020, I think, lists, maybe 2019, and that is The Vanishing Half. I don't know if oh, you heard know that, that book, no. but it is um, a fascinating book, um, fundamentally about race. Um, and it, I, I will not, uh, there will be no need for a spoiler alert here, but it is about um, a town in Louisiana that is populated by light-skinned black people. And these um, twin, young twins um, take very different paths in life. And one of them ends up back in the town um, living as a black woman and, the, and her, with her child. And the other um, 
takes a different route and decides she's going to live her life as a white person and can. So she's, mm -hmm. it's the issue of passing. Um, and it, it was riveting and interesting and for me, extremely educational. Um, this is an area, and I know you've done some work um, yeah. in your program on this, on race in general, where I think so many of us just have so much to learn. Um, yes. So that book really, among many others, has is bringing me along, but I would never presume to argue that I have a deep understanding of these issues and how complex they are and their impact on our our society and culture, but that's really a great one. Julie, thank you so much. Absolutely, my that's pleasure. Really, really great treat. to be here. Thank you for having me. What a great program, Cindy, thank you. Thanks for joining, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S, which stands for The Business Integrity School. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.